on, everyone? This is Mike Sleater with the My Two Life podcast presented by Ride Stasic. And today's guest is the one and only Robbie Madison. Robbie doesn't need an introduction, but I, you know, you got to give it to him because he has done it all, really, from a racer to a decorated freestyle motocross competitor to a man that has changed the game of just passion projects done on moto from jumping fo- football fields to the top of buildings in Las Vegas, the Grand Canyon, um, the London Bridge, uh, side by ju- side jumps over Coronado, and then one of my personal favorites, riding a 30-plus foot wave in the ocean on his KTM 450. Um, he, he's not only a family man, um, he, he, he's just a great human being. Um, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to be a good friend of Robbie's. I've got to know him through our boys. We, ha- we have kids that are similar age, and the love that he shares with his family and the, go everywhere together, his wife Amy, you have his oldest Cruzy, you have Jagger, and then you have the newest Rocco. They all ride Stasics, so you should be getting your kids on that. That's who's this presented by. But today we talk a lot about mental health and the trials and tribulations Robbie's been through and others around him and what his mission is to help educate those about that. Um, I'm really proud of the man. I've seen you know his his depression firsthand. I uh, I can see why he he puts so much into every project and expects so much out. Um, everything he does is, is truly mental. Um, it's, it's unreal. And to see the way his family works and how they support him in his projects is unreal. So this is a very, 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 uh, good listen, man. And, and I was, I learned some stuff about Robbie myself and I'm, I'm quite close to him. So this podcast wouldn't be possible once again without Ride Stasic. Um, they are a big supporter of myself and my family. My kids ride them. Maddo's kids ride them. Pretty much every top guy in Supercross kids ride them. Uh, Christian Craig's son Jagger does. The Osborne family kids. I mean, Ryan Morris's son rides them. If you want your kid to ride early and ride sooner, ride a stay sick. Uh, the folks at Maxxis Tires, you know, I'm, I'm a Maxxis Tire guy. Um, the best mountain bike tires in the world, and they're on the brink of breaking through into the moto sector with that all-new IT and ST tire. Um, check out maxistire.com. Um, they, they have a great selection of tires, not only for your dirt bike, your mountain bike, but also your truck, SUV, and your car. Truly the one-stop shop for a brand that supports your, your athletic and uh, your uh, drive to be a good human on tires. Let me just tell you that. Um, also I'd like to thank the folks over at Intense Cycles down here in Australia. Now the new crew at intensecycles.com.au. We have some cool projects coming on. Our first event will be in Tasmania for the Oz Nationals. I'm excited to go race that. Check out intensecycles.com.au or intensecycles.com. Use, uh, promo code Sleater underscore 10 for 10% off the purchase of your bike and you'll be riding just like me on a good bike, man. Uh, Ryan Dungey's a partner in Intense Cycles. You can be like the uh, multi-time champion Aaron Gwynn riding Intense Cycles. Um, Chris Kavark. All these folks, man, we choose Intense Cycles, family-owned business, owned and operated in Temecula, California. Um, so, yeah, thanks to all of those who support me and support this podcast. Um, this one wouldn't be possible without all you guys. So, 
have a listen. We'll welcome Robin Madison. All right, everyone, we're here with uh, my good friend, Mad Dog, Robbie Madison. Robbie, thanks for coming on. I know it's a small little podcast for your caliber of uh, status, but it's a pleasure to kind of dive into more what you're about, and and, and really, I'm really intrigued as a friend to kind of get into what makes Robbie Madison, Robbie Madison. So thanks again for uh, coming on. No worries, Mike. I'm stoked to talk to you, and it's pumped to be a part of it, brother. Get the message out there. Yeah, so... Uh, Man, what I've you know, let's take it back to the beginning. I know, um, you're from Australia, but what part of Oz are you from? Uh, so I'm from Sydney, south of Sydney, where you are right now. Crazy, <laughs> I mean, I haven't been back there for for longer than usually, but uh, yeah, I was born in south of Sydney, Cronulla, and uh, grew up on the south coast down in a little town called Bulleye, that's where I first moved to, and then we moved further south to Kiama. And now I'm a resident down in Nara, but um, I haven't been back there for a while. So, you know, Temecula's home um, for us. And, um, you know, I think we'll, people always ask, like, are you going to move back to Australia? And I don't know. You know, I, I'd like to think that we could always go back there, but who knows with these crazy times, you know. But, I mean, I love it out here in America. The just opportunities are here and I'm connected with the industry. And it's what I love to do is ride bikes and be a part of this industry. So I don't really see myself going back, back to Australia full time. Um, at least while I'm, I'm still, you know, working and, and doing what we do. But yeah, man, from the south coast of Sydney and and uh, grew up down there. I'm, I'm a beach boy too. Like grew up by the beach, grew up surfing, uh, playing footy, and um, and yeah, now, the real the real, here. the real the real um, way through Australia, right? And you got into riding through your through your dad probably, like most of us. Yeah, my dad had a trail bike when I was a kid and used to pop wheelies and stuff like that. And I remember, like, still vividly, him taking me for a ride. Uh, we lived up at the top of Hospital Road at Bulleye and, and would ride through the beach down into, like, the old um, coal mine that was by the by the school where I went to. I went to Bulleye Public School. So we'd ride down through this bush track and we'd come out to the coal mine and they would literally take the, the railway tracks from the coal mine and it was like a bridge that would go directly over to Sandon Point where there used to be a terminal over there for ships to pull in back in the 60s i guess so we would ride out there um to the beach you know on this uh ben and railway and uh and as i got older i remember trying to do it on my on my um qr50 but um yeah man it's cool to grow up in in such a small little part of the world small population and just like little community where everyone knows each other and big surfing culture and fishing culture and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, I think that's something that, you know, um, you, you really bring with your boys, you know, with our families being so close and watching how you raise your family and your three boys. And is it's, you got have that very, like, let's just do it until they tell us not to kind of attitude, right? Like riding, cruising that massive trailer ride out at Vail Lake and the back hills and doing stuff that we were able to do and not, he's not, you know, teaching your, your, your family the way of life, not just checking into a track, you know, paying your 30 bucks and, and riding a perfect track is learning the quality of not only life, but like the culture of riding. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I think, you know, just going to the track, I feel like you, you, there's, there's a certain part of it you're not experiencing. And, uh, you know, we go to the track all the time. Um, 
and we love it, you know, and the kids love it too. But yeah, yeah. for the most, for the most part, like when I took Cruz on that trail ride the other day, he had the best day he's ever had, you know, and he always sees me, you know, taking off and going for trail rides with the boys here. And so it was cool for him to actually join in and be a part of that. But yeah, I grew up trail riding. It was really like where it all started for me was trail riding. And I used to love it when we'd trail ride and we'd find a jump. And then my dad would let me hit this jump for a little while. And then that kind of extended to go into the track. And then, um, you know, for me, the track then, um, once I went down there, I was really bad at it as a kid, you know, I was, I was six <laughs> years old on the KX. Yeah. Six years old on the KX 60 and, you know, struggling to change gears and all the stuff that little kids have. And I remember I went my first year, um, I raced in the Pee Wee 50 class on the KX 60 and I think I got second. So I was pretty <laughs> slow. But, uh, that's awesome. That's, but it was, um, that's not awesome, but it's, it's rad that you can, you can look where you're at it's now. Great. Yeah, I, mean, I remember going to the Aussie championship, um, that same year and I really didn't belong there, but, um, you know, Reedy was there racing and, and these were kids that were like fast, fast young kids, you know, um, Aaron Gobert. Um, I mean, the, uh, there's so many names you could rattle off now. Um, you know, Joel Elliott, um, Kim Ashkenazi, Anthony Gobert. I mean, there's just so star started packs back then. And when I got there, I was, you know, I was getting lapped and, uh, and then within a year I, I was on the same lap. And then, you know, later on in that year, I was running up the top. So, when I started out with bike riding, I was a trail rider and I didn't really understand all those sides of it. But, you know, we quickly, I did a Stephen Gall's motocross school and Goalie and Lyndon Heffernan actually showed me the ropes. Lyndon was like the first moto coach I ever had. And, you know, anyone that knows Heffo um, knows and, and Goalie, they just run such a great program back there. So we went to Dargle um, when I was a little kid on the Hawkesbury River in Sydney and and, uh, yeah, did the Stephen Gold's Academy of Off-Road Riding. I used to wear that. T- I mean, I wore that T-shirt until it had <laughs> holes in it and it fell off me. I love that thing. That is, uh, yeah, I, I mean, those moments, those, those, you know, it's, I think our parents, you know, weren't involved in the industry like we are, right? So yeah. they didn't realize the type of people they're really introducing us to and, like, how important those mentors are those people that teach us to ride in the right things. Uh, Marty Smith was one of mine, right? And it's unfortunate he passed yeah. away this oh. last year. But having these yeah. mentors that, yeah, that, you know, you can really hang on to. I still remember things he taught me, right? And it's like you probably the same yeah. thing with Peter Gorley and that whole crew. Uh, totally. And then, you know, it's it's funny how little kids work because, you know, your dad can tell you all this stuff and you don't take it in. And then someone else tells you and it's just, it clicks right away. So, you know, it's one of the things I'm focusing now is trying to get, Cruz and Jagger, um, some riding coaching because they just, I mean, they listen to me all the time. And I think at some point, you know, they kind of switch you off. Um, and it's not that they, it's just, I just see it's the way that kids are. So it's yep. nice to have a refreshing new face, a new voice, and someone that explains things differently. Um, and so my kids, you know, I'm really trying to get them to do some more coaching with with Caleb and um, with Ryan and, uh, you know, guys that can just kind of, I, I'm, a, you know, I'm about kind of getting them some well-rounded experience and it's uh i know it did a lot for me after i did uh stephen goals riding school um you know it just did so much for me and i remember i remember i really struggled with riding in the mud and we're doing a local um riding school down in nara at the motocross track and i was still i would have had to be in eight or nine years old and stephen hunter was doing a, a motocross school you probably don't even know who stephen hunter is i don't i don't he was like a local legend um <laughs> back when I grew up and, and, um, and Steven taught me how to ride mud. And I went from like the worst guy that I used to pray. We'd 
go to the track and be raining and I'd literally be in tears before we got there because I just knew I was going to be hopeless and I was just going to be yelled at all day. And after Stephen Hunter taught me how to ride mud, I actually used to love going to the mud days then because I, I knew I was going to beat everyone. Was, uh, he told me to stand on the pegs and use my feet to steer the bike. And, I mean, that's still stuck with me today. I mean, um, you know, it's and, and Rhino teaches all these techniques too about, you know, being on the bike with the right, you know, feet control yes. and all that. And, you know, I try to pass on to my kids and, you know, we're on a smaller property here and it's, so it's hard to put all the lessons into play with such a tight little facility. So, but, yeah, I mean, when we were out riding, trail riding, um the other day, all those techniques, you know, I was able to kind of say to Cruz, you know, he was at the start of the day, he was like, oh, I don't want to go up that hill. I'm not going to make it. And by the end of the day, he was charging up the hills because he, I was like, dude, this is where you stand on your pegs. You look ahead, blah, blah, blah. And he did it all and he it pulled off. It worked. It's so motorcycles, man. Like, you know, obviously I started as a kid and to be able to let my kids do it now, it's, uh, there's life lessons in it for sure. You know, out in those trail rides, you can't give up when you're 30 miles from home. Yep. You have to keep going. You've got to get home. So yep. it's, it teaches them to not give in. And, and it's uh, that's one thing with my career, man. I just feel like I've never given in. And, you know, sometimes we're doing great and sometimes we're, we're not doing the best. And you have to experience it all, especially, you know, if you want to be a an OG or, a, you know, have a long career, you're always going to have your peaks and valleys. So it's just part of life. Yeah, and... and... <laughs> Amen to that. Um, I think as you tell us, tell me and the people listening, what drove you as a young man of like excited to learn, excited to to learn how to ride mud, excited to get coached. That really started young. Like your brain started young. You know, you you went, you you felt like there was a plateau in your racing career, and you decided to go into a trade, and you're an electrician, and then you're doing that, and then you're like, you went all in, right? And you went all in. To, to chart to to change the game and to chase your dreams correct yeah to chase a dream i mean i was working as an electrician and i was to be honest i was i was satisfied i actually had a plan that i was going to go to like these bigger projects and and uh and that was going to be me i was going to be an electrician and i was planning to go to these bigger construction um uh contract jobs and go and just work as many hours as i could because a lot of my buddies were doing that when i was when i was doing my apprenticeship and that's what i was going to do um until the third year of my apprenticeship, I, I had a um, jet ski accident in Lake Illawarra. And it was like, at the time, it was really dirty water. I swallowed some dirty water. I got meningitis and encephalitis. And, you know, a week later, I was on my deathbed. I was on in ICU. And then um, when I came out of that, I had like stroke-like symptoms. So I was actually paralyzed the left side of my body. And my eye had turned in. I had double vision. And they, and I was uh, I couldn't communicate. I couldn't talk. And... So it was like a point where they said, like, you know, he's not going to make a full recovery. You know, they kind of get when you're at hospital at that point, they kind of give you your family the worst outcome of what you're going to do just so there's no, like, promises or anything. Um, but I, like, like everything, man, I just didn't give in. I wanted to succeed. And uh, they, you know, I, the thing that frustrated me the most is I couldn't see. You know, my vision was so messed up. I had, like, this crazy double overlap vision. And... Um, and so they gave me some eye exercises and they said, look, it could take up to six years for you to correct this. So they said it is correctable. So I was very lucky. Some people have permanent damage when they have encephalitis. Some, a lot of people die. I mean, statistically, I was like in a very small percentage of people that were able to make a recovery. And, and so anyway, I went to a mental rehabilitation place and I quickly started, um, I quickly started like, making leaps and bounds with my recovery. And 
um, I went back to work and I was on permanent light duties just because of like I wasn't fed. I had been in hospital for months. I was really sick and it was really cool for my employer at the time to keep me on um, and they put me on light duties. I kind of went from working in the in, in the industry to being like the kid that worked at the office. The office was offsite. It wasn't in the um, it wasn't in the steelworks. But um, so I went offsite. I was back in the office and I was kind of just doing really just nonsense little jobs, just kind of like a wear like storm and really just cleaning up and stuff like that. But uh, it gave me an opportunity to also like kind of get on the computers and and uh, look at doing some estimating and stuff like that. So it actually go kind of. It was cool for me, and I eventually went back onto the tools. But I, I, um, I really worked hard at um, the eye exercises, trying to get my vision back. It was the most frustrating thing for me. And I remember about six weeks into my rehab, my my vision came back. And once my vision came back, I was just like, "I'm doing this, you know. I'm, I want to get back." But um, at that time, I mean, that was just the start of a crazy roller coaster. Because what I didn't realize I had after this, well, after meningitis, I had secondary impact syndrome and I wouldn't realize this and for years later until I started riding dirt bikes and then I had a I had a crash on my dirt bike hit my head and I had a full seizure and I woke up in hospital on my support and uh I was like what happened and they're like you had a seizure your heart stopped beating we had to paddle your chest you know essentially I died back to life and then uh I was in hospital I was on life support I had a broken arm broken shoulder punctured lung and um, I was like, well, you know, um, never had that happen to me before. And, and so we didn't really actually catch it at that point. And it wasn't until, you know, even later on, you know, when I when I'd left being an electrician and became a freestyle motocross guy, I had a, another head injury. And it happened to me and I had a seizure, um, you know, was, was uh, on life support again. They had to like, every time I have a seizure, they have to intubate me with a tube down the throat and then um and then kind of put you on sedate you and then let your brain recover and then bring you out of it slowly so it's a bit of a process but it happened to me five times now i've actually been dead you know clinically five times now and the last time was uh 2014 right before pipe dream released and that was like that one was a really really messed up one because it really kind of rocked the boat for me it's like my internal brain is like a filing cabinet and it's like the filing cabinet got knocked on the ground and all the files were scattered. So when I came back to, I just couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember people's names. Still struggle at times, but it's um, it's definitely got way better. But it, initially it was really embarrassing, you know, because I remember going to, um, I remember going to Jimmy Button's wife's, uh, no, you know what, it was, sorry, my bad. It was Jeremy McGrath's birthday, and we we had it at um, pole position. I think you were there. Yep. Um. And uh. And Jimmy Barton's wife came up to me, and she's like, "Hey, Robbie, hey." Said Twitch, and I was like, "Dude, who's that?" And he's like, "It's Bit Button's wife." And I was like, "Oh shit!" And I just couldn't remember anyone's name, like from the US. It was like I couldn't remember everyone's name in Australia. My long term memory was still intact, but everything that I'd learned in like the last ten years or so since since I had this brain injury was like really messed up you know i actually didn't even know amy's name when i came to so i was like i felt really alienated um and it's something i haven't really talked about much because it was really hard for me it was something i didn't want to lead on to because i didn't want to seem like i was a crazy person but um but definitely been through my struggles mentally for sure dude i mean i i I, we're pretty close our families are i i heard nothing i i knew you had some trauma but nothing like this man and 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 that goes you knew something was up (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but but with the 
the, the very interesting part and why, like I said before we started this, is and why you're like, well, why do why do you want me on? I'm like, well, because you have a a way of of reinventing yourself and and overcoming, right? And and I think yeah. you know I'm I'm going through that process now, right? I'm trying to reinvent myself. So not only is this therapeutic for the listeners and maybe for you, but very much so for me, right? Like I'm going through a full restructure in life, moving to Australia, um, and you know I think hearing your story not only motivates me, but motivates other people. And, you know, I, I look back at, you know, we had a, we weren't that tight in our twenties. Um, and as, as I, but I, our friends group, we had two different friends groups and we, you were part of one and you know, the, the deaf fam, and then you were doing yeah. your thing. You were in your moose gear and you bought the house next to Patchy's house. And, you know, I'd see you, and, and I remember your style was pretty bad. Like, it was not that good. You're just the send-it guy. <laughs> and you're just send-it guy and crash and get up. And I was like, man, this guy is never quit attitude. And then, um, you know, you started ripping off, like, just these mega, mega things. And I remember the first thing I when I realized you were just an absolute maniac was the, the long jump, when Krusty did the long jump stuff in Australia. And you and Seth were going back-to-back, -back and you're like, I want to do that again. And then you almost looped out like that yeah. type of attitude of, of just overcoming and, and, and putting mind over matter, um, through all your, um, I don't like to call them stunts. What, what would you call your, 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 your like pipe dream and your Paris drop and your Canyon jumps? What do you want like to call those? Like it's cause I don't like calling them stunts. I think it degrades them. Yeah, they're like projects, right? Yeah. They're like dolls projects. They're milestones yeah. to me. Like I, I kind of looked at him as like a. I always called him a project. I don't like. I had a project I'm working on. A project I'm working on. So I just called them projects. Yep. They were all like, they were like a creative kind of idea that I'd go about. And like, how can I do something different with my motorcycle that sets me aside from everyone else? I always want to be different. You know, I was like, I um, you know, I really struggled when I moved to America trying to stay on top of the world stage. You know, with the top riders and like you say, you know, yeah, bad style, but. To be honest, no, it evolved riding, in that like, in that time. It was bad, and that's like in that. Totally bad, you know. Yeah, but let me explain my bad self. <laughs> I uh, I spent so much time traveling. Right, I um, when we moved to America, like I never got funded by anyone. I funded everything myself, so I never had rich parents. Or I mean, yeah, I, I had a great upbringing. The fact that my parents worked so hard and kept, kept me in motorcycles, I mean, very privileged for sure. But when I decided to become a motorcycle rider, a professional, I funded all my off my own dime. So I'm I'm proud of that. And uh, when we moved to America, um, you know, to to stay here and uh, and to you know buy a place and all that, you're not going to do it. You know, just staying in your comfort zone and doing the local demos and riding at the competitions. You know, because unless you're winning the competitions like Nate was, it's really kind of hard to make that money. So. I was making my money by traveling to Europe every single week. And like, you can ask the guys, like I remember Twitch going, dude, I can't believe how much you travel. I traveled so much um, that I became United Airlines number one customer at one point. And it was, it was pretty crazy to think so, but um, that's amazing. I was on three, wow. Yeah. It's in 350,000 air miles a year. So like every, every month I'd go to Europe twice a month, which is pretty gnarly, you know? Um, and so my, so the reason why I like bad style is uh, I just never rode that much, you know, like compared to Nate and those guys who, and I was always jet lagged. I was, I was always jet lagged and, uh, and just, and so I was sketchy. I felt sketchy all the time too. <laughs> yeah. 
And it was really frustrating because I'd feel sketchy, but then I'd be like, every time I rode, I'd try and do my biggest tricks because I, you know, I if I went if I got off a plane, I went to Europe and and I pull up in Spain, I'm going in a competition. I have to throw down my biggest tricks. So I'd wake up, I'd feel tired, unrested. Um, you know, definitely a day not to ride. I'd go pull up at Nate's house to go ride, and I'd be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw down my biggest tricks and. And so, yeah, I mean, there was a, and if I could do it again, I'd probably, I wouldn't say I'd do my stuff differently, but I would, I'd definitely like to, I would have liked to focus a bit more on, um, cause I got docked a lot because of, you know, just to be, be in that little sketchy style, but it was, um, but man, I gave it my all. So yeah. It and, of- and that's, that's what is interesting is, is typically a person as a rider, they, they have a style and like, I look the same as I did when I was 13, like kind of very medane like just standard position elbows up looking ahead like just typical motocrosses like top right but when i look at you now and and i look at like your whip knacks and like as i'm watching you know you're getting your body back in tune because you have had a lot of uh, back problems as of last couple years of some injuries haunting you and i look at your whip knacks and some of the stuff you're doing that manipulating your body your style looks like a 25 year old. And that's where I'm like, you know, I'm like, man, that it's, it's evolved. So to evolve a style, is way harder than learning a trick. Would you agree? No, totally, totally. I mean, I think, uh, I think one of the best things, you know, for anyone to do is to emulate, right. Emulation is such a great thing. And, you know, so I love watching Supercross and love watching, um, anyone else ride, you know, like I love watching guys like Beerman and Axel Hodges and, and, uh, you know, even like just like Josh, Josh Hansen and, yeah. and guys like that who just have really amazing style. Um, I love that because I'm like, you know, I emulate that. I mean, I used to love watching Jeremy McGrath ride, you know, just because, you know, you watch the way he flows. And I mean, there's so many people out there that just have great style, but um, to watch them and to like see it and then to ride your bike and you feel what that looks like. You, and once you feel it, it's like, that's when I really started progressing because I, you know, back growing up in Australia, I, I don't think at Stephen Gore's motocross school, they really worked too much on style. So <laughs> back in those days, probably, yeah. probably do now, but they, no one taught it to me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's, cool. It's, 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 it's cool to work on it. Um, you know, it's, now though it's, it kind of comes subconsciously, right. But yep. it's, um, but it's cool to like, uh, yeah, to watch those guys and to, to be able to ride your bike and feel like they look is, is definitely a, a nice feeling. So we'll, we'll kind of transition that, you know, we talk about style and, and you, where you came from and a little bit on the family and we're, we're going to kind of get back into that, but progression and, and you are at the high, uh, you're at the forefront of FMX and, and you, like you said, you're traveling, hustling, grinding, Amy and you just on the, by yourselves, just doing it all the way from australia and you're riding this wave like early wave before you rode the real wave you're riding this wave of fmx that's like it's a little two three foot wave and then it, all of a sudden it's just a tidal wave and it's just not really big money you know x games gravity games huge films and i mean i had to have been a whirlwind through that time man and like to, to of of that like i was separated from moto to fmx and i i mean having friends doing both but like you guys were busy you're making money um and 
and it's kind of gone. Can you, it now like that? That whole thing's gone, especially in the pandemic. There's not events, so can you tell me a little, in a, a short little time frame here? Can we could go in depth about this? Is from the start to now with that FMX scene of what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I came into it at the best point. You know, there's so many talented kids now who would just would have been great to see them at that point, but we definitely got to ride through the highest part of it, you know, and, you know, to feed off when when Metal Militia was, like, dominant and Krusty Demons was touring and the Krusty Demons films were dropping, like, that was just such an amazing time, you know, with the, um, you know, with the way Supercross was and just the whole industry. It was like that we didn't have a care in the world and things were just so awesome. Um, and obviously we all did have cares in the world, but it just seems like now looking back, it was just such an amazing time, but, to be able to go through there and, and to be in the industry and riding a dirt bike and doing shows when like the backflip was like, you know, the newest thing. And, you know, those guys, I remember Kenny Bartram and those guys going, Nate Adams going to Europe and, and getting paid $60,000 to do one show and do a backflip, you know, it was like unheard of. And, you know, nowadays it's, there's still shows going on, but it's just not like that anymore. You know, those days are gone, but, um, but to go through that and, you know, I definitely had a great streak where we got paid great money to go to Europe and, you know, do do like three, four, five shows in one trip and then come home with like just minted. Like for a young guy, you're just like, I mean, I paid a house off in, in a year one time. It was friggin' awesome. So we had some great times, you know, being able to go in there and buy in a car cash and, you know, go and walk into the bank and paying your house loan off and just going, Boom, there you go. They're like, wait, you want to make a payment? No, I want to pay the whole thing off. <laughs> That's great. Inc- it's incredible. And the, and the curve of, of tricks, right? Like of was in, the, the rate of tricks, like it was a can-can, yeah. a knack-knack. And then, like you said, it just it a, a heel clicker. And then it's, I mean, you, you, you came from, and you, you never got left behind. Like you never left yeah. behind. It was super exciting because you'd go to an event and someone had a new trick that weekend, you know, and there's always like, there was this secrecy, you know, Nate Adams didn't want anyone coming over to ride with him because he's working on all these new tricks. And, you know, there's like, there was like multiple guys around the world who were at any given time, you know, you, you go to an event one weekend and they've been working on this secret trick and, you know, there's rumors that they might pull it off, they might not, and they don't do it. Then the next weekend they come and you're thinking, oh, I hope they're not going to pull it, and then they pull it off. You're like, no, it's, like, just incredible. But, you know, to see even guys, like, just super innovators like Kyle Lozar, you know, like Kyle yeah. never really did the motocross competitions, but there was such a hype, you know, around X Games. And, you know, especially, I mean, we all remember but X Games' best trick coming and just, you know, when Travis did the double backflip, oh. just, like, the craziest thing. It's just what? such an amazing, exciting time with the whole – you got, you know, a stadium of however many people Staples holds. I'm guessing it's probably upwards of 50,000 people just going nuts because this stuff's happening. So it's like, it was the coolest time. And yeah, I, I tried to not get left behind. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I was proud that I was able to take the body veil to a freestyle run because, you know, I was the first person to do that. And it's That's uh, incredible. It was a gnarly trick to be able to keep the composure and keep your breath and to be able to have the, you know, the skill and mindset to be able to pull such a, it's such a t- hard trick to pull off. Um, I actually quit doing them just because they got so, it just becomes such a head game to be able to pull that thing off. It just, every little critical thing matters. And, you know, it's, um, but yeah, man, I was able to stay with relevant, the forefront of Yeah, relevant, and- credible, winning. And, 
And what, <laughs> at what point through your FMX career did you go, okay, I want to start working on some passion projects. Let's call them passion projects of distance jumping um, and, and using Red Bull as an amazing partner of yours for many years to to fund and, and, and take your vision, right? I think that's one of the biggest sponsors that you could say that really took a lot of that to the forefront early on. Yeah, hands down, man. Red Bull has just been, it's given me wings for sure. You know, they are just an amazing company, an amazing brand. And just still to this day, just have so many amazing, it's just a great team of people. They, they have like a collective consciousness there where they, they're about, you know, pushing the, pushing the envelope and, and, and giving you whatever tools you need to make that happen, which is just insane. But yeah, the, uh, when I came to America it was 2005, when I did my first project with Red Bull was 2007. So it was quite early in my career, but, uh, I was working with Dane Heron at the time, um, who was my team manager. And I remember him sitting down with, with, um, myself and Dave Mateus was actually there as well. And, and, um, and they're like, what do you want to do, Matto, in your career? And, you know, the, the big boss at Red Bull at the time was Chris Marta. And Chris was overseeing it all. And Chris still to this day is like, I mean, I owe my career to Chris Marta, really. He really, he brought me into Red Bull. He was the big guy there then. And he he saw something in me and believed in me and really enabled me to be able to have the platform and the lifestyle I have now. So he, um, you know, it's, it was hard being from Australia to uh, – to get the opportunities for sure, you know, so I was very blessed that they, he was in, in the office and, and kind of had my back, but, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to break the world record at the time. You know, I was obviously, a, I've always been a huge fan of Seth Enslow just because of, uh, you know, just, just his demeanor as a person, you know, he just really treat, he always treated me so well from the start. And, um, and I just loved his charisma, you know, um, and so I just liked him for his – I like him for who he is off the bike um, so much. But uh, being able to tour with Seth, um, he kind of, you know, gave me the inside line. And when Krusty Demons was doing the Night of World Records, I put my hand up and thanks, thanks to Seth who kind of like, you know, was at my side – right by my side. He kind of if, – if Seth hadn't been there, I wouldn't have ever got to jump with Krusty Demons. But he was like, give this guy a shot. He's cool because wow. we had that relationship off the bike. So, you know, Seth really was – was critical in my career. Um, but after I jumped with Krusty's with Seth, I went back to, you know, came back to America and I was talking to the crew at Red Bull and I'm like, you know what? Trigger gum just broke the world record 200. I think trigger went like 277 feet. It was huge. And, um, and I said, you know, Ryan, and then Ryan Hughes came out and uh, sorry, didn't Ryan Hughes, Ryan Capes came out and, uh, you know, to the late Ryan Capes, but, um, Unfortunately, he passed away, but uh, but he came out and went three hundred and uh, three hundred and sixteen feet or something like that, and or no, I think he went three hundred and yeah, it was, it was like three hundred and sixteen feet, and I was like, you know, the current world record is now three hundred and sixteen feet. I'd done this jump, you know, the year before, or done these jumps with um, sorry, with uh, with the Krusty Demons, and then I told the crew at Red Bull because they said we have an opportunity with ESPN to do some big stunt, you know, do you have anything in your wheelhouse that you're thinking that you might be able to do? And I was like, and I was like, yeah, I'd like to break the world record. And it's at 310 feet or whatever it was with Ryan did it. So I was like, I'd like to do a football field. And that just became like a given. They're like, no, that's the best idea ever. You know, we set up a football field and you jump from goalpost to goalpost. You think you can do it. And I was like, yeah, I think I can do it. So 
you know, Red Bull put the team together, we pulled it off, and then the next year um, they're like, do you have anything else in the What was the final and- distance on that, Rob? 330-something? Yeah, it was unfortunate. In the practice, I went 356 feet, which is like my goal was 360 because okay. that was end zone to end zone. I went 356 the night before, and on the night we had a 12-mile-an-hour headwind and it slowed me down, so I only got 330. And you broke the record, uh, though. Broke the world record, and then it kind of went on from there and you know, obviously did a lot more stuff with Red Bull, which has been amazing. So is that record still hold- standing today? Um. It's not. So that record, uh, then we were, I went from there to Crusty Demons where I got sketchy. and, and uh, <laughs> That was so gnarly. Uh, we, we did, I did it again and I had a jump off with Ryan Cape. So I went 378 feet then. Um, so we really stretched it out. And then, uh, and then, you know, that record, so that was ramped to dirt. So that record's been broken. I think Alex Harville has it. Um, the official Guinness World Record, I believe, I still, I have it, but it's, um, it's 378 feet. But that one is it's a bit of a technical thing that Guinness Book does, but it's ramp to ramp. So it's like what Evil Knievel used to do. So okay. um, the stuff that Alex is doing is ramp to dirt. And it's a rolling, and, more of a rolling hill, kind of almost. Like, yeah. He's making the distance, but but the he's making the distance, but the overall gap is not truly that. Yeah, so the, I've done the biggest clear gap, 340-something feet. Which, like, so that's from the ramp to the back of the landing, 340 feet. So I went 378, and then... um. You know, it's uh, the ramp to ramp stuff is like really. I feel it's a lot more dangerous than going to the dirt, just because those landing on on timber and metal is different it's feeling. Just, it's a different feeling, huh? Different feeling. It doesn't have to give like the earth yeah. has give, and that yeah. stuff's just brutal. But for whatever reason, that's the record. So Alex Harville has undoubtedly jumped the motorcycle further than anyone else. So props to him. And um, but yeah, I mean. That's a record it, it, that's just, still there. So it, we'll it's just interesting to hear you talk about it, and it's unfathomable to me. I saw, I watched the the, the uh, Red Bull uh, New Year's jump, and I we didn't even know each other then. And dude, I was racing Supercross, and everyone was like, "This guy, like, they let, we were tuning in." Like, I wonder what the viewership was today. I bet it was just mega, right? Because like, it was yeah. New Year's Eve. We're all partying. We're, we're we're tuning into this guy, Robbie Madison, is going to jump. This is insane, right? And what what is mind blowing to me to have that like i know like i I didn't know you but i know there has to be so you can't just just have balls like you can't just have balls and and be a good rider to do that the 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 time put in the team around you your family your home like your home life everything has to be in place for those things to work out you can't be your motion can't be high low and and um it, it, is is that what you you would you agree? There's like the preparation's almost more stressful and more into it than the actual writing part. Um, yes and no. It definitely gets scary. Um, there's a feel with the distance stuff that can go horribly wrong. I know Alex is Alex had a big crash, you know, doing some distance jumps, and you know, so so the experienced guys who are really good at it can make. Big, 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 um, yeah, big mistakes, and it's 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 a small mistake that that can be really costly. And you know, Alex, uh, well, sorry, Axel yeah. Hodges did it did it very similar, you know, like, and I've done it too. And so there's a certain point where you're jumping these jumps, and you know, we all know how to use our back braking. Yeah, you have to be very good at jumping a motorcycle to be able to mess with this record. But there happens to be a certain point that 
when you are correcting the bike, it can get away from you and it becomes uncontrollable and the thing just starts to loop out on you. And it's happened to me in the past. It's happened to um, Bird, Jason Bird. Um, you know, I think um, I think Alex Harville, uh, he, he actually didn't, that didn't happen to him. He just missed the landing ramp. But, um, but yeah, it just gets, it gets the, the danger of it just blows out. And, and this crazy thing can happen with the momentum and the inertia of the bike where it does this crazy loop out thing at a certain point. And it's it kind of only really starts to happen what I've noticed once you get over like 350 feet. So, and at that point, you're doing over 100 mile an hour at, at the base of the ramp. You're up, you know, 60 feet in the air. And so it's it's like it could be a catastrophic, it could be a deathly crash, you know, if, if it happens. So it's something that's like it's fearful, it's scary. Your wheels explode at that point, you know, like I've, I've actually exploded a wheel on landing before and. Well, I know that when Axel was going for the record, he was blowing wheels out and they were asking me what did I did. And I said, man, when I did that last jump I did, my wheel exploded too. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I'm like, I, I really, it just, you're pushing the equipment to its absolute maximum. And it's yep. just, I just don't think the bikes are designed to do what we're doing on them. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, through all like, you know, your distance jumps and then you did the uh, uh, Paris, um, the tower. I hope, sorry if I'm making that. That was very technical like that was an extremely technical and 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 the save you had where you bl- ripped your tendon in your thumb and got some other injuries and you know you, you mentioned ryan hughes earlier and 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 i think you were at that time were training a lot with rhino and and uh, yeah, yeah. and, and I, I, rhino got me through that for sure undoubtedly yeah. without rhino i wouldn't have been able to do that jump he uh he actually got me on to working with the shaman before it because i was freaking out mentally and I couldn't like, I couldn't deal with life really at the time. Um, you know, I had everyone around me freaking out. Um, and Ryan said to me, he goes, Matto, I don't know what's going on in your head. He said, but if you believe you can do this, I will train you and I'll make you strong enough to be able to do it. And I was like, I believe it. And he goes, I'm not going to ask you again. He goes, because to me, it doesn't make sense. But if you believe in it, then I'll, I'll make you the fittest and the strongest you can be. And he said, because you're going to need it to be able to pull that thing off. And luckily... I listened to him and I trained with him and, and I, you know, I, I showed up every, every single training session and, and it was like the core strength and, you know, the technique and, uh, and the mindset that, you know, that um, Rhino that has, he, he's, Rhino has, you know, like he, he walks, me and Rhino the, were med- he walks we were the meditating. walk and talks the talk, right? He really does. He does. And we were meditating a lot. He got me onto meditating and it was just so powerful for me to be able to, and it's really the, been the thing that's got me through all these bigger, bigger things that I've done. Um, yeah, it's it's one thing to have the family life and all that in place, but ultimately, I think it comes down to being able to be like really just in the zone. And to be in the zone, you have to be able to turn your mind off and just be in the moment, you know. And and so I able was able to learn that skill um, through hours of meditation. And I did six months of meditating every day. Um, and so on the night, I turned my mind off. I wasn't um, freaking out or anything like that, but I was just trying to focus on my breath in and my breath out because that's when you're really at the at the you're at the you know in the moment when you're aware of your breath in and your breath out. You're at the current moment. You're not thinking about anything future and anything in the past. You're just aware of what's happening right there and then what's happening right now. Is your breath going in? Your breath's going out. Your breath's going in. Your breath's going out. I'm aware of the wind blowing on my face. I'm aware of the sound of my engine. I can hear the chain slapping and it's having that, you know, presence. I'm not, there's 300,000 people around me. I'm like, that's gone. 
and I'm just just me the ramp. I'm noticing like the little bits of moss on the oh, sorry not moss but little bits of dew on forming on the ramp. So I'm, I'm aware it's a little bit wet, it's a little bit slippery, and it's having that in the moment presence of mind that allows you to make those correct movements. Because if you start thinking about other stuff, your body technique's probably not going to be in the right position. Stuff's just gonna you know you you the the moment's moving faster than your brain can move. So it was a very powerful tool, and and I've used that tool, and I've used what the shaman taught me to navigate me even this last jump i did with um with red bull in uh, ducked out when i jumped off the first tree bridge in los angeles i used that same technique you know to check in with myself to stay present-minded i asked myself the soul if i was willing to do it i was really just you know used energy to like you you can ask yourself these questions and it'll tell you yes and no answers it seems crazy but it works and and you know i i, I chose to use that as the tool because no one can tell you an answer. No one knows, you know, only you only know here. And, and if you can't, if you're not in tune with what's going on in here, then you're doomed. Dude, that's, that's heavy. Like as, as you're saying that, you know, I'm, I've never really meditated. Like not cause I don't believe in it. I just never have. But when you say, when, when you, when you said something of hearing that chain slap and you're in that zone. And as you know, as a test rider full time for 15 years and, and, I didn't really have any injuries until I stopped doing that full time. And when I crashed my mountain bike and almost died, I wasn't tuned in like I was. Like I knew that I wasn't. And when I was testing, when I I never crashed riding because I was so mm-hmm. tuned into the bike. And I, I'm I'm, I'm going to say like it was a subconscious way. If you, of, if you hear something off, you're like pulling over. You know something's yes, not right, right. I wasn't focused on anything else, just the mm-hmm. motorcycle. Every time I hit that track, I was focused on what it did. So I was like, hit that rut, pop up, get the, the shock sucks. I'm getting over that bump, right? So that, I mean, wow, it's pretty heavy. Like I was subconsciously doing what, you know, you have to do to do these huge feats. Yeah. And, and it was, just, I mean, I'm just doing laps, but as you know, laps, the simple times we crash are the ones that we get hurt. Right. Or the simple, the simple days when you're just not focused, right. When you're not focused yeah, yeah. and, and, and your focus over the years to focus on and fixate on a project. Um, one of the ones that, you know, you've done, do you mind rattling off a few, like I think there was probably 10 plus, like you did the long jump, you did the step up the tower, you did the Canyon gap over. What was that big one? Canyon, yeah. And then I jumped, uh, yeah, the Corinth canal and then London tower bridge back foot that. And then, wow. uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, we jumped San Diego. Yes. Um, the, the, with the sl- next to the, next to the, um, the snowmobile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. And then, um, one of the and then the video, the video parts, you know, like uh, aircraft and, yes. and uh, drop in with skull candy down the big ski jump. And yeah, then, uh, I think that was underrated. The skull candy one, I think, was underrated. Um, yeah, when you jump down that, like I saw the guy that's gone viral on Instagram where he his wheel he indos off it, he indos the mountain bike guy, in, he indos off the, yeah, at, at that same jump, he indos off that jump and yeah. gets away. He gets, he gets away, like, but probably cheese grated him. Um, but the biggest one I think that put you like on another level to everyone and is uh, pipe dream, right? Because yeah. it was something that shouldn't have been worked, and you have a very yeah. engineering type of brain. You're not only a great rider, you're a daredevil, but your brain works quite different in mechanical, right? And when I was working at KTM, you'd always text me about parts and because you want to be better, right? And I was always like, man, this guy is on it. He's not just a freestyle guy. He wants to make things better. And then 
when you the 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 time the time you took it took you to develop a chassis or a platform to get your bike <coughs> to float it was one thing right you were doing some stuff in canyon lake early right elsinore yeah uh elsinore yeah it was brutal man i went through the ringer with that thing and it got to the point where i actually packed it up and put it away because i was so sick and tired of looking at it and dealing with it because i couldn't figure it out um i the worst thing about that thing is when we first built it it worked on the very first day and i rode it three and a half miles and then we pulled it down and and that was built on a honda on a cr500 um and then uh I was, I was only using that bike because it was like a spare bike I had. I was sponsored by KTM at the time. And so once I rode three and a half miles, um, Chris Marta, who I mentioned before, who was at Red, he, now he was at Red Bull um, Bay Area. And I said, you know, I'm like, dude, I want to do a project, you know, with, with this bike I've made that rides on the water. What can we do that like going to catch people's attention? And originally the idea was to um, – to cross uh, fr- right next to the Golden Gate Bridge, right across, like next to the Golden Gate Bridge, right, and uh, and so we went up there. We did some recce's. We scouted out. We realized, you know, we got to time this because it's so it's it's probably the worst place to do it because of like how rough that area gets. But yep. we were hoping to try and we were it's going to be the worst thing to coordinate, and it didn't happen for a reason because it would have been impossible to coordinate. But that motorcycle, no matter how good it runs it can't run in any condition. It has to be the right conditions. It has to be flat and smooth. And so lakes and cold water is the best for it. Um, fresh, cold water is when it runs the best because it's the most dense. And once you get into salt water, it's, it's less dense. And the bike, nothing about the bike floats. So the salinity doesn't do anything to it, but the density of the water matters. So the, the warmer the water gets, the worse the bike runs. So going to Tahiti in that warm, salty water was like the worst. It was like riding... It was like riding at the beach on a on a on a street tire, you know. It was, it was hopeless. Oh. Um, but in leading up to that project, the bike was working great. We put it onto the KTM. We went to test it, and it wouldn't run. I'm like, "What is going on?" And and the guy that was building it is like, "I don't know, man. I just I used the old ski to make this ski." I was like, "You lost the old ski?" He's like, "Yeah, I used it to make this one." I'm like, "I was just shattered, right?" And so I was like trying to just make this thing work and I'm hitting the water like in fifth gear wide open, which is so sketchy when you've got skis hanging off the bike and you're like wide open on the dirt and then going onto the water. And then when I go into the water, I'll just like slowly I'd lose momentum, lose momentum. It just had some drag going on that I, you'd look at the bike and we we're all scratching our heads. I had engineers there and no one knew what was going on. And so I took all the pieces and I stopped working with that engineer. I'm like, you don't have the answers and I don't want to be rude to you, but I want to figure this out. And this is my passion project. So I'm going to take everything with me. And I'm going to figure it out. So I started going to Lake uh, Lake Elsinore, and I, you know, I spent months testing, couldn't figure it out. And we were making like Buddy Morgan was working with me at the time, and Buddy would make a new ski. Would talk about the design. He'd make the ski. We'd come back, test it, wouldn't work. We'd talk about a new design. He'd make the ski, come back, test it, wouldn't work. We went through all these trials and tribulations to even to the point where we packed it up, didn't work with Buddy for a year. So I pulled it out again. I'm like, I'm going to get this thing going. I re- Like, it just was eating me up, you know. So I pulled it out again and I called Buddy and I said, hey, Buddy, <coughs> do you want to go walk on this water bike again? He's like, I was hoping you'd never call me about that ever again. <laughs> and so I convinced him to go and work with me again and we banged our head, banged our head, banged our head, and we never really got it working too good. And then eventually we went down and um, 
we had, we got it working okay, but it was never back the way it used to be. And then we went to um, uh, we, we so we got to a point where it was okay, but we didn't know why it was okay. We we played with so many different little things that we were lost. We didn't record it properly, and so we're kind of lost of like what worked, what didn't. But we we finally had a setup that. It worked, but I had to stay like way back. And I didn't know why I had to stay back, but that's just the position I had to go into. So we went and we did Pipe Dream and you watch Pipe Dream the whole way. I'm like this the whole time leaning back. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't realize why I had to do that. And then we went down on Triple X. We stole it to Vin Diesel and went Triple X and we're riding the bike there. And it wouldn't work down there because the, the film crew got involved and they changed the design. And I'm like, you guys don't realize how critical this design is. And the engineer that was on there is like, oh, I build stuff better and Buddy didn't have any tertiary education. So he just didn't want to listen to anything that Buddy or I said because he was an engineer. And so this guy ruined the bike, right? He pulled it apart. He made it his own design. And I looked at it. I said, that's not going to work because of this and this. And he's like, well, you're not an engineer. What would you know? I said, because I fucking built the thing <laughs> and I know whatever. So long story short, it wasn't working down there. And it was about to, the film was getting jeopardized, you know, and this is a $350 million film, right? And it was all hinged on my water bike working. And I woke up one night at like four in the morning. I was like, I just had this epiph- epiphany because I was just like complex. Geo- like it's going through my head and I'm like thinking about angles. And I'm drawing stuff and then I'm like drawing the water and I'm like r- scrunching that piece of paper and start another one. I'm like, why isn't it working? I'm trying to understand the physics behind it. And then I realized what was going on. I went down. I, I remember I had a little scooter. I rode down to the side because these guys were working all night because like we had to film the next day. And uh, I get down there and I'm like, buddy, I realized what's going on. And so they, they actually had changed my design. So what happened? I was like, get the rear ski and move it four inches forward. So we moved the rear ski four inches forward and the thing took off, started working. And it still wasn't perfect, but it was for the design we had, the rear ski was 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 off and we moved it forwards. We fixed it somewhat. Now that I've had my time to work on even more, now I've got it working where I've, I found out why I had to lean back. And so now I've got it to the point where it works great. I can ride it. I, I go in the water in second gear and just like cruise on the water second gear. I can go all the way up to fifth gear and I can go all the way back down to second. I can ride around in circles in second gear on the water. It's, it's actually the coolest thing ever. That is so cool. Yeah. I'm going to, I really am looking forward to, um, I was actually talking to my team manager at Red Bull today about it. And I was like, dude, I'll, let's get some of the Supercross guys when the series is over and put them on this bike and go spend a day and let some people ride it. I want to put Swap on there. I'd love, I would have loved to get you on there, but yeah. we'll do it one day. Yeah, for I want sure. To get bike just to ride this bike because there's been, obviously I've ridden it. I know how it feels, but it's the coolest feeling a motorcycle rider can have. I can't, I can't imagine because I mean, that's when we started hanging out. Our family started hanging out a lot is when you were working on that project. And I just remember, you know, the nights that you'd spend out in the shed and just racking your brain and sink a bike and, and the mental fortitude you had to, to continue on to, to know when to stop also. Like that's one thing that people don't, don't realize is it's one thing to have be a meathead and continue to work and work, but it's like being working smarter, not harder. Okay. We, we, I gotta take a break. Let's shelf this. And in most people, I can't do that. I'm a guy, like when we were building the stage six for our kids, yeah. I was not letting it go. And you're like, we just got to stop. Right. So that's and something. Yeah. It's just, been great for me. Like I lit with that water bike project. I packed it up and put it in my shed for months, you know, on end multiple times. 
and and uh, and then you know I'd put it away, and I was like, you know, it's not meant to be. And then, sure enough, I'd have like an, a vision, and I'd be like, oh, and then it, it'd click. And but I mean, I had guys, you know, um, Jimmy Redman who invented um, wakeboarding. I had um, Mike Murphy who invented the air chair. Um, okay. I had like some of the greatest minds in action sports look at this thing and it was just one of those things that no one's ever worked with multiple hulls. You know, you got two hulls pushing the water and the, the, the physics that's going on around there was something that no one had ever actually had any experience with. So, but it was cool. I mean, I, I'm stoked. I ended up figuring it out and, uh, and, um, and it's actually, that. I actually, you're good. I just got hired to do another project with it, which is super exciting. So I'm about to pull it all out again, and and uh, and we're we're going to Europe with it here in, in the next few weeks. That is really cool. Um, yeah, the pipe dream was something you know I think was really special because um, it was a project that you couldn't just be a dirt biker, you couldn't just be have big balls. You had to be a surfer first and foremost because you had to understand the water. Right, you had to have the mm-hmm. etiquette. With, I know you had some dramas with uh, with the locals and and the surf guys not giving you street cred for just getting out there. Uh, we won't go really into that, well, but it's funny because like I had like support of some of the best surfers in the world, like Mick Fanning and um, Sonny Garcia, and yeah, you know the the list is huge. Like Joel Parkinson, all these guys thought it was the coolest thing. But there was all these keyboard warriors who had nothing to do with it, just wanted to put a lot of shit on me. But whatever, man, it's like. People can have what they say, what they want to say. Yeah, I, yeah. I was trying to realize a dream. We realized a dream. We did something that's never been done before. And I agree. It doesn't belong in the water. But, hey, that's what life's about. Is like yeah. it, you, you're doing you, stuff that following a vision, you know? Yeah, and that's, and, and that's what I thought was cool is, like, it, it's, it looked in, – in the way your team kept everything so quiet for, like – it's a loud mm. motorcycle. Like, no one had spy photos. And that stress, like, I think going back to, like, that whole – that whole thing of keeping everything in, in, in motion, right? Without letting it out. And in nowadays with social media, everything happens so instantaneous that like going back to the FMX guys, it's like, as soon as you used to have to pay to see Robbie Madison and Brian Deegan and Pastrana do a backflip. Now I can go on Instagram and like, there's a guy like that. Is that Pat Biden? The young kid from Australia. Yeah. Pat, Pat, Pat Bowen, uh, B- Bowden. Pat- yeah, yeah so I don't really know his name, but he's unbelievable. But unbelievable. he just missed the time, right? He just missed yeah, the window. Like shame. because like guys started doing stuff on Instagram for free. So then you start seeing like it's 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 a really weird thing where, you know, if you're not doing something very unique, it's hard to get paid. You know, very unique. It's like he's... And then, and then even if you are doing something unique and it leaks on the internet, it's hard to really kind of get the grip to... Monetize to it. The, to monetize it, it right? Is. Yeah. So people don't realize Struggle, that it's, it's, a, it's a very calculated um, thing <laughs> to, to launch a, a passion project. And, you know, I think and it's... I got, I got a sheet of paper that look like this. <laughs> just, uh, That's great. Uh, Let's hope my Zoom... My Zoom uh, recordings my first zoom podcast works like people can see that but yeah it's very um the the, the pipe dream was cool we got to have both our, our kids there to see that in Huntington Beach with the DC crew and to see that go off and the respect from it made major headline news um I, that was something I was very very proud of you and your family I mean it wasn't 
you had some trials, tribulations, you had a big crash, and you made it happen typical Maddow style. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I think it's, it's really incredible that you can, you know, once again, accomplish, have the mental mindset to, to focus on something and hyper focus on enough to, to change the game. Um, with the water bike, you know, there has been people that tried to copy it and, and emulate it. And I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe a, a young man in Montana passed away doing it. He tried, he kind of yeah. virally, he was, he was challenging you, but with motivation, right? He was, a, he was a fan and he was doing it. Yeah. He wanted to race me. And, um, you know, and unfortunately he just, uh, he got complacent. I don't think he had a life jacket on and, uh, he was riding it at night. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that it's like skydiving, you know, you can do it so much and to the point where it's kind of feels like it's safe, but then one thing's off and it can kill you. And unfortunately he got taken down that way. And, it's one of the reasons why I kind of like walked away or didn't walk away, but you know, just things weren't lining up with the water bike and it's the reason why it's packed away right now in the shed, but it's, it's a great marketing tool and it's, um, you know, it, it's really, uh, I'm stoked that I have it. You know, I, I've been asked to go and do some marketing. Um, and so I, I'm stoked that I'm able to have opportunities to earn money, um, yep. ride my bike and, and, and follow my passion and, yeah, and uh, yeah. it goes on, but yeah, it's. I mean, uh, it's, it was a shame to hear that young fella passing away for sure. And so you, you know, I, I really rocked me around because I felt like some part, some kind of responsibility to you know. But yeah, I could see um, that man, but, but it definitely wasn't you, you. You you know, you probably you inspired him in a way that he'd never been inspired, and you know, we all have a plan. There's a plan for us, you know. We don't know, but yeah. Um, you you mentioned you mentioned an activity just now skydiving man that's what's one thing I want to talk about is you got this new found passion skydiving <laughs> um I've been seeing it on social media <laughs> yeah it, it like I was so petrified of skydiving oh. I didn't want to do it but oh. I, I actually yeah you finished man you finished I can't even I can't even fathom like I'm so scared of heights in my tenth floor in in quarantine hotel I'm like scared looking over the glass railing. I just don't know if I, I don't, I can see how it's enjoyable. I'm, a, I'm, a, I can appreciate it, but I don't think I could get my mind to let it like the confidence of trusting the process to enjoy it. That's where my brain real. it's not the heights thing. Cause I'm, I'm flying. Like I'm, I don't, I feel out of control, like, like not in control. Sorry. So tell me yeah. more about you. Like, like that's my feeling for it. And then to see you do it, it didn't surprise me really, but like, going back to this calculated, like you said just now is if it, if it's right, it's, it's right. But if it's yeah. wrong, it's a big, it's a, it's a death consequence. Yeah. A lot of guys, you know, well, not a lot, but yeah, people die doing it. Um, there's fundamental things that you can do that could really kill you. Like a low turn on landing will, will kill you. Um, and, and so it's just one of those things that you can kind of panic and be like, Oh, I've made the wrong calculation. I'm not going where I'm meant to go and making a turn, trying to save yourself from hitting a tree or something. And when you turn, it it puts on an angle. And then what happens is it go, everything goes on angle and you pendulum out of it. So you pen, it can pendulum you into the ground. And that's how a lot of people die is just like uh. panicking. And so the main thing with skydiving is you have to plan where you're going to land and you have to do a landing pattern and plan and land there. So like if you're not going to make it back to the drop zone, then you need to plan somewhere else and do your correct formation to land smoothly. And it's like the biggest 
biggest thing you need to focus on. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've never been caught out a couple of times. So like, fortunately I'm jumping out of hot air balloons here locally in Temecula. So I'm always like doing these, like what a lot of experienced skydivers don't even want to mess with is like landing in like unplanned areas. But like, I'm like, I believe in myself. I know my, I know like, you know, I have a great trainer, Sean McCormack, who's like drilled into me all yep. these like life lessons that he's learned. He's still got like 45,000 jumps or something. How many jumps? Like yeah. You have like a hundred or something. You, you went from the, the C class to like in the main 450 main like instantly, yeah. right? Well, hey, you know how you say that bad style? <laughs> I probably have the worst style for all those pro skydivers. They're like, oh, look at Adam out there. Our elbows down, just flapping, legs going everywhere. But you're hauling ass. Yeah, like, but you're hauling ass. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah, man. That that that's cool. Uh, and then you, I seen you're flying a plane a little I'm bit like too. Ronnie Mac. <laughs> but you, but you're flying a plane a little also. Yeah, I'm flying a plane. So, um, the skydiving thing. Like, I I was into skydiving younger. When I met Amy, um, she kind of talked me out of it because she was just not about it. And then uh, she actually put the fear in me. I did. I was cool with skydiving for many years, and I wanted to do it. And then she's like, uh-uh. like, as soon as we had cruise, she's like, no, well, no more skydiving for you. That dream's over. And so I just kind of went with it. And, um, and then I got asked last year, like, Hey, Mato, there's a project going on and the company that's doing it has requested that, that you are, you know, um, you're going to, I don't want to give too much away because it's top secret, but that they wanted me to, to be, uh, the person that's going to do this feat. Right. And, yeah. uh, and then they're like to do that though, you have to get your pilot's license. I'm like, okay, yeah. like, skydive ticket and you have to learn to base jump. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, and then like, there's no pressure from us because we understand the danger involved and we don't want to put that on you. This is totally up to you. But if you want to do this, they, they're welcoming you to do it. So I was like, give me like, you know, a week to think about it. Right. So I stressed on it for a week and Amy ended up coming to me because she at the start, she was like, nah, you know, you can turn this one down. And at the end, she's like, you need to do it. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, this is part of your journey. You need to do this. And I was like, I thought that you weren't into skydiving and it wasn't cool with you. And she said, yeah, but this is part of your journey. She could see it. And so she was like, you need to do this. And I was like, oh, God, like, thanks, babe. Like, really? Yes, you want to awesome. die or something? You know, so um, I was petrified, Mike. Like I was so scared to skydive. When the first skydive I did, um, I bet Travis Pastrana doesn't even know this, but uh, I called his old number and um, and he didn't answer because it's not his number anymore. <laughs> and I texted him a pretty emotional text for our level of friendship, you know, and I was like, hey, man, like fucking respect the shit out of you. I said, I just had the most wildest experience. I just did my first skydive and obviously no answer and, I never even told him once I did get his new number. I've spoken to him recently, but it'll be a story for when I'm talking to him face to face, unless he watches your podcast. But, <laughs> Probably um, not. Yeah, maybe not. But um, anyway, the first jump I did, I actually, I did all the practice right and I was really committed. And on the way down, I did three practice pulls and, uh, and I, 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 you know, I put my hand on the, on the pilot chute come back, check my el- my altitude, looked at the one coach, give him the nod, looked at the other coach, give him the nod, put my hand on my pilot chute, looked at my altitude, give him the nod. Just this is what you have to do to make sure you have your wits about you and you're doing everything. 
And then they're like, all right. And then we're falling. And they're like, all right, pull your shoot. And I went to pull my shoot. I couldn't find it. And I'm panicking, panicking, panicking. And then Sean grabbed my hand and put my hand on the pilot shoot. And I grabbed it and I pulled it. And as it came out, I went, oh, I was freaking out, right? I was panicking. And it popped out. And I was like, oh, 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 oh. And then finally opened up. I was like, oh, 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 oh. And I was like, had a massive panic, right? I'd never done that before. And um, anyway, so I like get control and I was like, oh, okay, that turns left, that turns right. I'd never been under a parachute before on my own. So I was, I was freaking out, right? And a lot of people don't have this, this um, happen to them, but I was freaking out. And uh, anyway, I touched the ground, everything was smooth, but that experience really shook me up, right? So I got in the car to drive home and I couldn't hold the wheel properly. I was like dementia guy, just shaking. And I driving home and I actually felt like I was going to vomit. And I got home and I like said to Amy, I'm like, oh, I don't feel that good. And she goes, you're white as a ghost. I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I had a crazy experience today. And I was, I've been doing brain canics, right? So stick with me here. But the brain canics is something that I connect these microbes to my head and it, re- it reads your brain patterns. And it's part of my um, like rehabilitation of the head injuries I've had. Yep. So I'm like feeling a bit weird. So I go up and I put this thing on and my brainwaves are going, Yay! it was like the craziest. Cause normally when you do this stuff, you're meant to be relaxed and I get my brainwaves. So they're just like going like really small. Yep. And it was just going haywire. And it was like, I, they have never seen the machine do what I made it do. So I record that they can see because it's going to be for scientific proof that you're like, I mean, it just totally rocked my boat, but, uh, it's data, though. It it's da- it's data. It's data, though, right? Like you can go back and learn from that. Great data. Yeah, we have it. And um, but the 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 short of this story is um, I'm doing the skydiving in the in the pilot, and now it's become like my life, and I'm going to do it forever. But this is part of a bigger project that I'm working on. And um, you know, you said before about reinventing myself, and it's like I'm stoked, man. I'm like, I went through some of the worst feelings and emotions that. A man can have um just with like the loss of a family member and the breakup of my own family and what it did to me emotionally um and then my body fell apart and i really went through the ringer with like um you know just the abuse i was, I was putting on myself and and uh and it really turned to depression and and i went to the lowest man i was like i was in tears and I, I was thinking some crazy thoughts and and uh i didn't want to go down like that you know and and uh and now to come out of it and to be, you know, skydiving, literally it came at the perfect time for me, man. It like, it gave me like something in my life that scared the absolute crap out of me, but it also made me realize that I just realized life is, is, is amazing. It's awesome. And there's like, there's stuff out there that can scare the crap out of you. And it just, it just shedded layers of, BS off me, you know, and it just all this stuff that was like getting in my head and making me angry and upset and depressed. I was like, get out of my face, threw it down. I'm like, I'm being happy, I'm smiling, I'm doing what I want to do. And it, it just made me feel alive again. And um and and so now like my trajectory of like what my brand's doing and what I'm doing as a person, I feel like I'm going straight up, man. I feel so good and I'm stoked about it. And I have like a new team of people and Sam Moore has been like such a huge person in my career. Um, you know, he's, he's the owner of Fist Handware and yep. he does amazing stuff and he's been like a brother to me and he supported me and stuck by me for all these years, man. It's like, 
we're doing some cool stuff together now and I'm just really stoked that uh, I'm building like this next wave of my life isn't about me, it's about my kids and that's why I'm just so passionate about it because I'm building a brand for my kids that's it's for them, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I'm stoked about it. Yeah, man. I, We're I, going to be launching a new brand. Yeah, so everything I'm doing from this point in is to, to build – something that a legacy uh, we can work on as a family a legacy yeah right? a legacy yeah rob i've i've mm-hmm. you know we we are raising young families our two boys our oldest our both our bo- like our families are very ingrained you know and our boys yeah. love on each other and they 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 have same passions um and just being friends right our kids don't race a lot they're definitely not the fastest kids at the track but they love to ride Right, they crash into each other on PW fifties, and there's two kids on the track, and they're on top of each other, and we're running after them, and and we're learning to yeah. dad side by side, and 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 you know one thing I can say is, in in watching your journey the last you know eight years alongside our kids is you have to have something that stimulates you, and 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 you have to focus on, and and, and as we're talking through this, I'm thinking you said you know skydiving is a calculation you gotta go here to there to there to there and your brain is a calculate mm-hmm. is, is it's every jump it has to be the same or it's a huge consequence where moto yeah you can do it you could do it like you said you could do it um hung over you could do it jet lagged you could do it hurt you you know you've done it with borderline not should be you've done it hurt more than you probably done it healthy right but the skydiving sure. thing is such a hypersensitive focus in this new project. I'm just elated that I can see the joy in your face and I can hear it in your voice of yeah. of having something to focus on because it's healthy for healthier for your family, you know? Yeah, totally. And it's you know, it's it's got it's crazy as it is, it's got me back on my bike, it's got my body back into shape, it's like renewed my energy. I'm like, you know, I it I was sitting around just being like a sad sack when I had, and I was, it's crazy to think cause you know, a lot of people need help, help, you know, and it's like, that's why I'm, I'm an advocate for mental health and that's why I'm speaking up about it. You know, let's and go I'm, into that. You know, that's I wanna, what, this, this is what I want to talk about. That's what main focus. Let's talk about that mental health and, and what drives you to bring awareness. Cause moto athletes are a little bit uh, uneducated. I'm being one of them of, of, of mental aware, mental health awareness. And I saw your post and, that that's the ultimate um, reason why I want to have this chat. So let's go into that and, and what your passion for that is. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've grown up with like seeing mental health um, people struggle with it, you know, through, through my lifestyle, uh, through my life. And, and I see what it's done to my family and it's, uh, and it's sad, you know, it's, um, you know, it's it's sad when people can't communicate with each other and and be loving when when I think that it, it that truly it, it, it exists there. You know, and I see, you know, friends of mine who have had families, um, you know, and dad goes and knocks himself off, you know, and it's like leaves, you know, a widow and and kids without parent without you know without a father or vice versa, you know. But it's um and a lot of a lot of males struggle with like depression and. I don't want to see anyone knock themselves off. You know, it's, it's such a traumatic thing. And, but I've, I've had those thoughts myself. And so it's like, I can, it's, you know, I'm not an expert on it and I, I'm not saying I have all the answers and sure you can critique me if I'm wrong, but um, I'm just here trying to 
raise some awareness on something that I've experienced and I feel like I'm in a good spot. Um, you know, I have all, everything to look up, up to and, and no reason to, uh, to be depressed, but certain things rock us, you know, that, and, and some, you know, I can, I'm sitting there, you know, not so long ago looking at my family going, I've got everything to be looking forward to. And you can tell me like, look, you've done this, you've got that, you've done all this stuff. You have these beautiful kids, a beautiful wife. You've got all this stuff. Why are you depressed? And it's like, I don't know. I just am, you know, and, and it's hard because I know there's people out there that are like, I know I've got all this cool stuff. I know all this stuff's great. I've got it. You know, one of my, one of my good friends had everything going for him from the outside and he went and knocked himself off and no one could understand it. But sometimes it's just like people are just depressed and it's like, and they don't even know themselves why they're depressed. So, um, and I don't, I'm not saying I have the answers, but I know skydiving definitely peeled off some layers for me. And I know that um, laughter is great medicine, you know, and if you can get yourself to laugh, it's, it's what we all need, man. It's like a smile on the face and there's been some things that I've done that have really caused me to laugh a lot recently that's been really good for me. And, and, but, um, but st- I mean, honestly, the, really the start of my healing process was like saying yes to, um, I, co- I commit, you know, I was at the dark point and I committed to like, I'm going to, I'm going to climb this wall again, you know, I'm going to get over this mountain. And, and so I committed to doing this project when I was really in a dark place and no one really knew it around me, but, the process of this, you know, getting up and being accountable and going and showing up at the skydive place when I'm like, I don't even want to be here and then jumping out of a plane and absolutely terrified by just being like, well, it's either this or, you know, I was kind of like weighing up. Are you going to take yourself out of the freeway or are you going to like jump out of a plane? And, and you know, it's like, and so I was like, whatever it was, man, I jumped out of that plane and just, it just like, shh the life changed for me, man. And that first guy, I was crazy. I was, it scared the crap out of me, but it just, it just made, I don't know, it changed some for, for real. And I've been doing a lot of uh, stuff, you know, NADIV therapy. I, I think anyone who's um, struggling with, uh, with depression or addiction, whatever um, you look up NADIV therapy, it's really great for the cells, you know, for the brain, for, for your whole body, for your organs. Um, that's been that was really really refreshing for me to do that and and you know from so many head injuries that was recommended to me from the head injuries to to go and do it and and it really helped a lot but you know it, it helped me in a way but it wasn't really like it didn't tick all the boxes and and I don't think we we're all very fragile you know at any time something can happen to you and it just you can be having a great day and then something happens and it just breaks and shatters your heart you know and it's like um, you know, losing, losing, you know, loved ones. I mean, it, it just happens and it's going to happen to us again, you know, and again, I mean, it's going to happen again and again. It's like, so it's like, you can just live in the moment, you know, and, 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 it, and appreciate the moment. And I think a lot of, um, you know, going back to, and I always use, it, it sounds weird when you say meditating, cause people are you some hippie weirdo or something like that. But it's like, Meditation is a fancy name, but really it's just turning your stupid mind off and you get rid of getting rid of toxic thoughts, really. So it's like staying in the moment. If you're in the moment, you aren't thinking about what's going on or what happened in the past or anything like that and or what you're desiring in the future that you don't have it and you're being depressed because you don't have it or you, you can't find excuses of how to figure that out. But 
finding an activity that you enjoy, like mountain biking, is just, you know, it's just such a fun thing to do. You start riding your bike and you next minute, all you can think about is catching up with your breath. And it's like, I'm just trying to survive out here. You're oh, oh, you see me puke on mountain bike rides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But pushing yourself to that point of like activities, man. I'm not saying for people to go skydiving and saying, hey, maybe skydiving is if you need something that's really going to shake you, like try skydiving. But just having an activity, being being um, healthy um, is agree. a great way of, uh, of uh, doing it. And and so shout small plug, February 13, we're going to do a jump for uh, we've lost – you know, a few friends here recently, um, some, of, some of my really good friends have lost their brothers and stuff like that through fentanyl. Um, and I don't really understand it, but I know like you can get them, you know, a lot of us motorists where we're in pain and then you know, doctors prescribe opiates and then opiates turn to, you know, it's a dark, dark tunnel, you know. And, uh, and so we're just doing this skydive on the 30th of February to, raise awareness about mental health and, and, and um, fentanyl and anyone who's struggling with drug addiction to come out and get in touch with my boy Preston Durnford. Preston is a recovered um, heroin addict. He started their And then his brother actually died of a fentanyl overdose after he'd already recovered. And, and so it was a crazy thing. But, you know, um, Preston lost his dad to suicide and lost his brother to accidental, like uh, to an o- overdose. And then, and he's like one of the most positive guys I know. And he has every reason to be, you know, broken, shattered. So to anyone that's lost a loved one, know that there is healing for you out there. And there's like a brighter days are ahead. So find an activity, find a support crew and people that you can talk about who have, you know, it's, yeah, you can feel like it's the worst situation for you, but know that there's other people that are going through the same stuff, you know, so you know, we lost Chris Ackerman, you know, he was one of the closest people to me as as family uh, out here in, in America because he's just been that guy for me. Um, and we lost him just, you know, a week, week or so ago. So we all go through these heart-wrenching times, but um, life's short and we got to have fun. So Yeah, man. Like, you know, I went through some personal stuff about a yeah. year, year, year or so ago and you were by my side literally. Um and I remember riding my bike, my mountain bike, through the trails behind my house. And I, I've never told this to anyone, man. Um, and I was like, it'd just be better if I was dead. Yeah. And I, I'm not. I'm, I'm riding through it. And I just, I was like, if, if I could, if I would have had some way to, to, to ending it there, it would have been bad. But, um, for, for everyone around me, it'd have been a very selfish thing. Mm-hmm. But because I had a friend like you and Diorio and Hubbard's positive energy around me, I luckily, when that 30-minute ride home on my mountain bike, I called them. On the way, I called them. And they came over yeah. and we chatted. And they talked That's me awesome. off the ledge, right? You talked me off the ledge. And we, you rebuild. I, had, I, I stripped myself down and had to rebuild, right? And by no means am I perfect but i was just fortunate and i was lucky that that i didn't i just by chance there was no there was no thought process it was instinct i guess it was i when you think that way it's not calculated obviously right uh, it's it's a very yeah. reckless behavior and that's the first and only time i've ever done that and i pray to god i never think those thoughts and i'm in that in uh, that place before again um so yeah. i really i really think um 
Um, I'll post this on, on my blog. I'll get that out there as well. I think it's great what you're doing, you and your crew, um, raising awareness. Um, you know, uh, there's many of us that have had friends that suffer from depression that or suffer from uh, that have that do suffer from depression and um, have family members that do. So I think this is something yeah. that you can speak for that you you know you deal with uh, and, and 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 that yeah. your family has. So th- thanks for doing that. Um, no worries. Uh, and, you know, I, I've, I've talked, sorry, keep going. Uh, I wanted to, you know, if, if, if there's one thing, you know, we were going to talk about some bench racing and as we're talking about mental health and whatnot, did you see, uh, Ken, Ken Roxon's butt patch from la- the weekend he won? I didn't see. It said, Wait, what, this weekend or last weekend? Uh, last weekend, the first round that he won, it said rock Zen with a brain. Oh yeah, that's uh, and, yeah. and then, and he is, yeah, he seems like it too. And, and he, he's been going on, and I listened to a uh, uh, interview with him the other night, and on Pulp MX, and he was talking about his new head, his new brain, how he's not letting things, he's not fixating, and just his clarity, like the way he is. And they're like, oh, if you would have had, a, if you would have, when you flew off the track, and Eli would have won, like you. You would have probably like wanted to jump off a bridge. He's like, no way. It doesn't really matter. Like I've learned, and like to hear his brain, the way his brain's thinking now, and the way he's trying to coach. And you can tell he's coaching himself. Like it's not a easy thing for him, right? He's coaching himself. He's telling us that he's working. He's coaching himself to be mentally in the moment and stronger. And then he goes out to win tonight. I mean, what do you think of the Supercross series and um, or what? Ken Roxon's doing, man, right now. I mean, it's pretty incredible, uh, right? Yeah, Ken's a legend and a hero, and it's it's always easy to like the winner, but the <laughs> yeah. way Ken's doing it, it's it's a beautiful style. And uh, I heard in his speech tonight, you know, how he was talking about um about his new head and and just the way he articulated his words, and um you can you can sense the uh the power that he has there. You know, he's very calculated, and very in tune with himself, and it's uh, it's great. You know, I've seen. I've seen racers come here and, you know, pray to God that they're going to win and, and go, on, go on to the start line thinking that they're going to win because they all prayed and their church prayed for them and that thought they were going to win. I was like, you ain't going to win, dude. That's not how you win a race. You win a race when you, your mind's still. And, and you know, and, and I, um, you know, I won one of the ex-fighters ex um, in, in Calgary and at the time when I won that, um, some of my best friends actually didn't recognise me because – of my disposition at the time. I was just, uh, I was so zened out meditating and just very um, in the moment that I, I mean, I just rode flawlessly. I didn't make a mistake. I was, you know, and when you're at that moment, you're able to focus on your breath and because you're aware of your breathing, when you're out there racing, you're not thinking about all these other stresses. You're actually focused on your breath and to be able to ride the track, like when I ride the track now, everything I do is I focus on my breath the whole way. And so once you're breathing, then you can start riding and you get in a rhythm and your rhythm is breathing and then you can just keep going. It's great. And it's like to see Ken ride tonight and not put a wheel and, and not look scrappy and just like perfect style all the time. He got off the bike. He wasn't, you know, wasn't lost his breath. He was, yeah. so he's obviously breathing well and, uh, and um, you know, very clear in his head. And, and I know from my, when you're able to have that clarity, and you have like super abilities and it's uh it's one of the things that i've focused on to get to that mental stage um to do the stuff i do and um and you know it's it's um 
it's crazy how when life kind of when you get like caught up in life you know i found myself you know it's it's really good for anyone who's got mental or or um you know who's struggling mentally it's like it's good to um just get away from everything right and try and get in the stillness and turn the mind off turn the thoughts off get rid of the thoughts is uh is a great thing because if you spend your time just doing activity 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 and then communicating 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 and going to bed and just always you're always like you know output 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 and you never like come an input and it's like you have to have that balance and I, I find like when life gets too hectic for me and I don't take the time to actually just take a break and kind of like Rusar a little bit, you know, and just chill. It happens to all of us, you know. You start looking at other people, you start comparing yourself, you start doing this, that, the other, and and it's just like you're not in your vibe. Then you're not like in tune. So it's um yeah, it's it's great to see. The racing's crazy because you know for someone like Ken to come out and look make it look so effortless, and then you see there's a lot of guys out there, and I don't want to mention names because I'm a huge fan of all of those. No, guys. No, you can, my- you can. Like we're not talking. I do, dude. I don't. They don't. They don't yeah. care because, like, let's take Malcolm Stewart, Aaron Plessinger. I'm the. Th- I'm gonna dive in. I'm a huge fan of both those guys, and dude, like Plessinger has had or Plessinger. I, I, we, they all everyone sounds different. Dude, that guy's a West Coast champ, outdoor national champ. Like, that's no joke, right? And last two years in the 450 have been terrible for him as entry, is his his rookie year. And dude, he's back in, dude. He, this is the most stacked field ever. Any guy like in the right. main, crazy, right? And like, a lot of people talk shit with or about Alex Ray, like the guy's squirrely or whatever. Dude, the guy's making main events. He's made like 50% of the main events. He's no joke. The caliber of rider, the execution of the team, his team is not what Aaron Plessinger's team is. It's not what Tomac's team is. To see Osborne getting stuck in the gate, the urgency of these guys to get a start. Because I think the tracks have been pretty easy, in my opinion, man. Like, the, the, so there's not a lot. Like, easy as in obstacles. Like, the techni- technicality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. the only way to get from, yeah. yeah, the technicality of the dirt and, and, and makeup of the dirt and stuff has been pretty technical. The whoops are getting chewed out. But overall, technicality yeah. is, like, not separating people. Like, like they're fast tracks. They're under 50 seconds, right? I don't know. I yeah. mean, I just think yeah. that there's guys that, that you know, I mean, Vince Freezy, like, dude, the guy, unfortunately, is making a highlight reel every weekend of a dumb mistake, but the guy is world-class speed. He's making main events. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I trained with Vince, and I'm, I'm proud to see him doing so well. It's um, But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a given thing. It's like mental state, you know, what we're talking about here is like some of the top athletes in the world and how they're performing and then trying to like also like, um, trying to also like uh, speak to everyone that's listening potentially to this podcast, like the average Joe's just about mental clarity of mental health. So it's like, but it's like the performance of these guys is really based on their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Being in the moment. Right. So like Jet Lawrence, you can talk, I mean, that guy, that young man, that young child, right. He's 17 years old. And I would, it's, I would, I'll claim it. Like, I personally think he has the best style on the dirt bike in in the world right now. Like, yeah. he looks good, his size, his body type, his, the way he rides, the fluidity, but his mental clarity still is one of a 17-year-old, right? And Yeah, and, he's, I feel sorry for Jared just in the fact, like, he has the pressure on his shoulders, you know. Yeah. It's like everyone wants to see him win. He's a fan favorite. He's yeah. a great kid, um, amazing rider. Oh. And I think, 
you know, unfortunately, it's like it's easier for us now at 40 years old to have a bit of mental clarity because we've made all these mistakes and as dumb as we are, we finally start to realise, <laughs> oh, yeah, we should, like, you know, shared some of the BS. But with a young kid like that, it's hard for him to be able to switch off when he's probably got every freaking young bird in the, in the, in the country, like, DM, DMing him yeah. on Instagram. But, you know, it's... Uh, He's got a lot of pressure, and it's it's, it's a, probably a harder waters for him to navigate than it would be for someone like Ken, who's had Ken's been at this in this you know position for a long time and had you know global attention for a long time. He's a hero, a, a world champion, um, you know, and to for for him to overcome the injuries he has, I mean, I take my hat off to him. He's, he's a he's a phenomenal athlete, and but because of he's had you know so many, Trials. you only get. Better. You only get better once you realize how deep you can go, and, and and so you bounce back your best performances. And that's one thing I want to say: to anyone who is struggling with mental with mental uh, issues or depression, know that your best always comes after your worst. So it's only going to get better. So that's something to smile about, really and knowing cool. that when you're going through the depths, you're actually learning a bunch of stuff about how you're going to become better, and. Um, and that's what I've found. Like my best outputs are usually come from a really bad experience. And and I think with Kenny, you know, he's he's like been given this situation where he's almost lost his arm and he's like thinking he's doing everything in his power now to try and get it right. So props to him for having the tenacity to keep pushing. And yep. I mean, it's um it's very respectful for me to see someone uh be able to go through what he's gone through and to be out there and ride the way he rode tonight was just insane but it's uh i, I mean i look at myself you know I've, I've i keep going through ups highs and lows highs and lows highs and lows and and i'm trying to ride my bike now like you see me back on the bike like i had the opportunity to ride this morning and i chose not to um just because i wasn't feeling good and back in the day a younger robbie would have ridden and mm-hmm. uh and, you know, you said before, oh, you can ride motorcycles, you know, feeling off and whatever. Yeah, you can, but um, it comes with, only- It comes with consequence, though. It comes with consequence. Because you feel there's a question in your head. So when you get to that sketchy point, if there's that little question, you're going down. And I see it happen all the time. Like, I, if I've got a little question in my head, I'm going to make – something's going to go wrong. And when I feel good, I feel – I ride great and – I mean, I had a very embarrassing thing happen to me a little while ago. Jeremy McGrath, the king of Supercross, come to my house, right? And I wasn't feeling to ride. I didn't want to ride at all. My back was locked up. I had every reason to not ride. Um, we were doing a little shoot here for Razor, um, yep. electric, electric Toys. And Malcolm McCassie, obviously, Malcolm, everyone knows Malcolm. Um, he said, hey, MC's coming over. You're going there. I'd love to see my boy Matt ride with the king. It'd be so cool. And I was like, all right, Malcolm wants a free demo here. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I mean, if McGrath's going to show up, I'll ride, sure. So McGrath shows up. I water, prepare the place. Um, Tucker Higashino um, gets on his bike and starts riding. I'm thinking, all right, it's now or never. So me, stupidity, I, I knew better, but I was pressured because of the influence of the king was at the house. So I put my gear on, I rode out there, and Jeremy didn't have his bike off the truck. So I thought... <laughs> was he going to ride or not? You know, I was like, oh, I'll just ride. I hadn't even spoken to him. I was in such a like panic state and trying to get everything ready for the shoot and the course and water and everything else. So I get on my bike and I go out there. I case the first jump. I'm like, what is going on? I um, case the second jump. 
they finally clear it. I'm like, what is going on? It's like I was just my timing was off, everything. So anyway, out of five jumps, I crashed twice. Like sketchy, right? I crashed twice in five jumps, and to the point where I like was so embarrassed. And Jeremy's like, dude, have you ever ridden before? Yeah, like, yeah, he has that. He has that like condescending. Well, I cased, I cased, I got it good, and then I did a whip, and I kind of come up a bit short, and I swapped, and I just, it was like a little low slide, nothing, and I was like, oh, what is going on? And I, I think I had the wrong gearing on my bike, is why I, I, I changed wheels, so that was just stupidity. I wasn't on, on point that day, and then uh, and then I, two jumps later, I thought, I'm going to do a whip knack, because I know I can do them good, and as I did a whip knack, my foot slipped off the peg, and I went into a full double knack, and I was like, oh, and I come down without the bike, and obviously crashed again. <sighs> And so I hung up the boots, but, you know, I wasn't meant to ride that day and I didn't listen to the signs that the universe was showing me, my body knew, and, and so I wasn't in the moment that day. And, and so it just kind of, I already learned these lessons, you know, and, and it's cool to see, um, I'm getting off track here, but it's cool to see guys who are in the zone, like Kenny, put it all together and showing us what it looks like when you get it all right. And it was, it was like, it was, it was beautiful to see. So yeah, to yeah, it's crazy, right? Like, man, I'm glad you're okay from those most sketchiest moments. But as a fan, I'm a big fan of Supercross, as you are, right? And and any sport, for that matter, it's it's so selfish. We're, we're, you're selfish as a fan because you want the best to perform. You want the worst to fail, right? And and you you pick your you know you, you want certain things based on your emotion and what you what you what you want or what I want yeah. right yeah. and I want Jet Lawrence to win because I love his um, trainer his family's cool I got to wrap out with Hunter his dad at Intent Cycles the, uh, a couple weeks ago and I love I love his demeanor I I love everything about his riding I love the sacrifice. But that pressure, that world of pressure that's on him, and he probably thrives yeah. on it as much as it, 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 it it's hard, you know. But for a yeah. 17-year-old to have to rise to that is is really unfathomable week after week. And I, I know he's got the right people around him, so they're going to sort this out. But yeah. would you agree, like, he salvaged the LCQ? Yeah. And, and then he got on the line, and I, I was more pumped that he didn't ride. Yeah, the, you know, being that, uh, that that was a veteran thing to do, like it was, like yeah. most seventeens, like no, like I can't not ride. Well, whoever's in their team was like, dude, if you can't ride, you're out. And then, so that was cool. I think that was neat that that he was that commendable that he was able to pull the pin when he needed to. That's that's going to pay dividends to to the series and and to, for us as fans. Yeah, and I think he, he knows at this point, like, you know, he can kiss the championship goodbye. Now it's about just being, um, you know, coming back and just getting successful runs and proving what we already know there's a top guy. I mean, we know that he is um, he is destined to, to win a championship and he just needs to get the – he just needs to get all, all the pieces of the puzzle in the right order. And unfortunately right now I think uh, the pressure is probably a little bit much for him and, and he's probably – you know, unfortunately, he's just under. Yeah, there's just a lot going on in his world, and you know, he's a young kid, and I, it's probably just going to take a little bit for him to be able to get that point where he can just be in his brain, bring the tension down, bring the energy level down, and just stay at that focus point and be razor sharp. And that's what you're seeing in Kenny, just very sharp. He's not getting taken away by the moment. I mean, this is all still brand new for Jet, too, right? Yeah. So it's it's uh he's doing an amazing effort amazing. for where he's yeah, and, and I. I think uh, he's he's just. I wanted to see him win tonight too, but 
I think it goes to show what we're talking about. You know, you have to have the clarity to be able to stay in the moment. And uh, um, and and I think for, for the poor guy, yeah, he's just um, it's just not all lined up for him just yet. Yeah, we'll go more into the lights class. It's interesting on clarity, right? This whole lights West Coast or East Coast team class because East Coast um, first has been a debacle. Like all the talent that's been out, and let's let's go into that. So you have Forkner. Unreal talent. We know he, he's not clear in the head, right? Yeah. Like, like I'm a fan of how he rides, but he, he there's some things that aren't aligned, I think, in his personal life that are contributing to his riding, and it's not clear because if it's if it's head to head, like it's hard to bet against Fortner's speed and his skill set. And then you have um, R.J. Hampshire, who's an amazing rider, you know, rock star Husky kid. He gets hurt. I mean, we got we got guys dropping like flies on this in the series. We only have Christian Craig and Nichols left that are actually have raw speed, like raw mm-hmm. speed. Um, but I am really stoked to see Colt Nichols. Man, that kid is so well spoken. He's got swagger. Yeah. And he works his ass off. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Craigs. Um, this is not positioning against, but like to see someone like Nichols that also has gone through his trials and tribulations, a bunch of injuries. When you go to that star Yamaha team, Rob, it, you got to perform. If you don't perform there, you people know like you can't perform. It's like the old pro circuit yeah. days, right? When you you got I had friends that go to pro circuit, if they didn't perform on pro circuit, they were done. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So it's like Colt Nichols and Christian Craig are keeping the series alive for us, right? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm a big fan of Christian. I think he's a great kid and, oh. and uh, you know, amazing person. And, uh, and he's a friend of mine. So it's it's hard to like, you know, but at the same time, I, I could never say anything bad about Cole. He just seems like a class act. And yeah. he, you can see like his writing is so smooth. He's on point and he's sharp and he's hungry. And yeah, you know, well-spoken, good-looking dude that can ride dirt bike yeah. like the wind. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, Props to him for, for riding so good. I'd, I'd like to see Christian, you know, do what he's capable of. Yeah, um, that's a, that's a key better. thing is Christian is capable of more and, like, the whole industry knows yeah. that. And it's like round one, we saw what what Christian's capable. He passed Colt Nichols twice in a heat – or once passed him back in a heat race after he fell. Yeah. He, he hasn't yeah. – like, he needs to – can he get – let's get him back. Let's get Christian back to that moment. And then you'd have a superpower of these guys. I mean, it'd be it'd be a fierce race. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to um, you know, I, I know what it's like. It's hard to keep the, especially when you're practicing and you're brand new at like having the right mental state. It's hard to maintain that mental state, you know. So you know, Christian, if everything's lined up, you know, one weekend, it's hard to stay there through and through on the weekends. And I think someone who obviously a genius at it, Jamie McGrath, right? He just stayed so consistent for so long. And I think that's one thing that McGrath had on his side. It was just like he was able to find the focus weekend in, weekend out. And it's not like he was, a, you know, an angel. He's like talking smack to guys on the line. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, the stories of what he's saying to his competitors and stuff like that. And what a badass, you know. It's like he was able to like once the date dropped, just be razor sharp and focused. And, I mean, I don't know what his program was, but he's obviously doing something right. He's just obviously – not overtraining. I think Rhino obviously explained that he used to overtrain. Yep. And um, and I think if you want it too much and you try and force issue, then it's not the right balance either. You have to have that right chemistry going on. So 
Yeah. Um, Speaking of chemistry, you know, we'll move on to the 450 class. Like Justin Barsha, like he came out that Red Bull project where he won A1, like the three P. Then he goes out and actually wins H1. And then he had everyone's like typical Barsha. And he's, dude, he finished 13th, I think, last weekend. And then, yeah. and then to see and him second. second tonight, like it's, I, I mean, Barsha's as is he's Bam Bam, right? And I love the character for our, our sport. Like we need a Bam Bam, right? And and the class that him and Kenny show and Tomac show on podiums now, and the the level they race each other, but they have respect is hasn't been in the sport for a long time, you know. Yeah, I mean, in that heat race, it was just such clean racing. It was so so cool to see like Kenny and Adam just being such gentlemen with each other. They weren't. They could have taken each other out, but it was, it's nice to see that, you know, that um, you don't, I mean, I guess it's like Adam's a clean guy anyway. And, and I, and I, and I think so is Kenny, but I think Kenny's had spaces like he doesn't need to clean the guy out. He, he knows it. Like we run, run the, run the race, the time that we've yeah. got, he, like he, he knew that he could, he could put it in through there. And, you know, Bam Bam's known to just force the issue <laughs> a little bit more. So, but I mean, I saw him ride prior to the season starting up here at the KTM track, and he looked great. So I've been wanting to see him uh, do well this year just because, um, you know, I don't know a lot of these guys super well, but um, I'm a fan of all of them. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and to see him come out on the new bike on the Gas Gas and look so good when he when I saw him ride, um, I knew on the first race, I'm like, I put my money on Basho just because of the – the, the energy that he was admitting when he was up there, I just like, dude, this kid is, you could just tell he was, he was, he was polished and he yep. felt good on the bike. You know, you can tell when someone feels good on the bike, when they're bike, you can tell he's been riding the ass off the thing. And I mean, it just, um, yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah, like man. you said, you can see the energy that, that the energy that Trolley Designs Gas Gas team has with the young team of Tyler Keith's a young guy who leads the team. Um, it's family ran really with Troy Lee. Like he's he's yeah. Troy's nephew, and then you know Richard Simmons, Jay Burgess, that whole crew there. Hunter Falk. Um, I, I don't know a few of the new guys, but they're young. It's built around Justin. Justin doesn't like that corporate. Like he didn't jive well with that corporate setting at Honda or Yamaha, but he thrived at Geico, which was a family run team. So look at now yeah. he's back to a family run team with um, factory support. And dude, he is. Um, I mean, it's hard not to be a fan of the guy. His blonde hair out the back. His, his kit yeah. looks his kit looks better than ever. He's got ditched the hurting kit. Um, like the A stars gear looked rad, but like just the, the neck brace and the rye helmet, and it just didn't look polished. And he looks he's gonna he's 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 reinvented himself. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good to see. It's uh, yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> props to those guys. The way they can ride dirt bikes, it's it's phenomenal. But you can see for sure. I mean. I know when it when it's what it's like when you're on and when you're off and it's um uh it, it must be incredibly hard to be at that level and to stay on you know to to be able to come in weekend in weekend out and to be clear headed um you know it's I guess you know back to that's why the king was so badass you know just like so consistent and did that stuff it's like I I'd like to see Kenny the way Kenny rode tonight it seems like he's gonna win the championship and the way that he said like. He mentioned on the podium that he's not here to win the championship. He's just taking moment by moment. He knows, man. He is in the moment, and yep. and it's beautiful to see. Like he is talking the right lingo to someone who knows uh, what it takes, you know. And to to have that right balance, um, 
I found it later in my career and I think it's the, the reason why I still am reinventing myself and doing new stuff is because I've found that balance and it's uh but it's hard I know but like I've been at my best and and recently I've I lost it you know so it's it's hard to to keep doing it time and time again and 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 to be able to stay there when stuff that's out of your control starts happening you know you could be having the best supercross season then you know lose a family member or something like that it just ruins you how are you meant to keep that and it, this happened life happens to all of us so uh, it's, it's easy to think oh yeah make these predictions based off how they rode tonight but you don't know what's going to happen you know i saw in the tele- telecast all these guys uh, love their dogs they, a lot of them have dogs right so it's like um there's a lot of stuff that goes on in these people's lives that's, that contributes to their happiness to their overall well-being and the winner out there is displaying them with their most controlled neat like everything's in order and and so it's interesting to see it shows like the human aspect of it that Lots of things that are out of these guys' control can change, and you know it's, that's why the season's so interesting because you just don't know what they're dealing with behind the scenes, you know, weekend in, weekend out. But I mean, I think Kenny's just put on a great display right now of, of what what to do, and uh, and someone like Jet Lawrence that came in looking so promising in 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 the youngest in the earlier stages, and you see kind of tonight was just like a tough one for him to swallow, but um, but it's going to make him a greater racer, yeah. and we can't expect first year and i think he's just going to be here for years and he's going to keep growing and for for someone that's so young already at such a top spot i mean the future's bright for him so yeah i don't don't think we have to worry about jet right it's just more of like a you're as a fan you want you want the the, you want the stars to shine right and yeah yeah like let's see me but it takes a while to figure out that combination of like what you personally need and what makes you happy and you know it's tough like I've done a lot of stuff in my career where, you know, you start having a certain supplements that you use and then you get to the race and you forget your supplements or something and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't race. I haven't got my supplements. But mm-hmm. then there's guys that eat McDonald's on the way to the race and kick ass because yep. they're not tripping on that stuff. So it's yep. like whatever floats your boat, whatever. If you can control what makes you happy and keeps you in your happy zone, props to you. And if you can control that and maintain it, then you're probably going to do good. But when things start going out of alignment and, you know, Jed had those crashes in the practice and stuff like that, those little things, you know, it's a crash, get back on the bike, sure, you got hurt, but those little things can upset you. And that's why I'm sure these guys get in each other's heads behind the gate. They're all trying to upset the, the yep. other guys to just wreck their flow. So, I mean, probably Kenny needs to keep some earplugs in some of those sound deafening. <laughs> I, I think good. Kenny, what, one thing Kenny's done, and I think it's just his demeanor. I got to ride mountain bikes with him uh, over behind his place in San Clemente. And just he's such a charismatic and, and fun person that the it's hard to race him hard if you're his competition because he races you so clean. And he said that too. It's like, it's just not his style to be like a dirty rider, right? Yeah. So, so guys, when he needs support, when he needs lapping someone, or he's passing Vince Freezy, or he's passing someone, they go, "Oh, Ken's class act. I'm not going to dirty him." But Tomac yeah. is introverted, right? And like, he's not wrong. It's just his way of life. He's so introverted yeah. and 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 to himself that no one he's not, doesn't let anyone in, right? Anyone into his bubble, and that's how he performs. That they go yeah. well, screw him. He doesn't let me in. Like he, he's not my friend. I'll mm. make I'll make that pass harder yeah. on him, right? So yeah, Kenny's yeah. like yeah. everyone's homie, right? Kenny's yeah. everyone's homie. Like Rhino, a guy we both admire and, and respect. He could people his his competition hated him. He's an asshole, and he'd admit it. And anytime he's around him, like fuck, like 
I mean, Emmett kicked him. He was his teammate, kicked him on the ground and Santa Supercross when Ryan landed on him. But they respected him, but they couldn't stand him. Where people yeah. respect Kenny, they like him. His competition does. So it'd be tough to race Kenny, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially when he's uh, a class act, right? So. Yeah. So, man, Rob, it's been, you know, we're, we're, we we could go on and on, man. I, I really yeah, think if anyone's still listening at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, man. I I really am stoked. Uh, I I I've this needed to be told. This doesn't need to stop here. February thirteenth. Can you can you plug one more time what you got going down at Lake yeah, Elsinore skydiving? We're doing a um we're doing a skydive um. So essentially, if anyone's out there that is struggling from um, from uh, substance abuse, um, if they have done 30 days clean, they get a free skydive. Um, so it's something I'm going to touch on as we get close to the date to like kind of let people know what's going on. Um, but it's really Preston's thing. I'm just, you know, I, I got kind of um, my life pushed me down to this path and I, I ended up going down the skydive place there and I met, I met people down there that um, – I mean, there's people down there who are pilots and doctors and scientists and ex-junkies and so all walks of life, but there are people down there who all share a common passion and as to they're all living in the moment and they're very uh, – it's a good vibe down there. So we're trying to, like, educate people and just bring awareness to living life clean, um, being happy, and, and if you're not, then reaching out and getting support that you might need. So uh, February 13th, is, it's, it's uh, more for uh, – Sentinel awareness and mental uh, mental health, and uh, if you want to come and jump and be a part of it, it's 159 bucks to a tandem. If you're a free jumper, come and jump with us, and uh, and then if you are someone who's struggling with addiction, and if you've been clean for 30 days, come down and you get to jump for free. So, well, man, um, I commend then, you and your crew for putting this on, man. That's a, this is this is very cool. Like Elsinore skydive. Um, yeah, you, you, you always, you're always giving back Rob. That's one thing I love about you. Um, your kids, I can tell admire their dad and your wife is always there because of what you do for other people, man. And I know you will continue, can you continue to do so? Anything else you'd like to add before we sign off today, buddy? Um, nothing much. Just stay tuned on what I'm doing. I think I've got some really great stuff going on. We're about to launch a new brand. Um, we're going to be offering, nutrition, um, clothing, hard parts, supplements, toys, um, kids' protective gear, cameras, optic cameras, um, true grit weights, um, the Tavadi oil. There's a lot of products we're going to be doing to this site. So, And it's all stuff that I use that I that's involved in my life. Um, there's going to be even more stuff there. But, you know, we have the Tavadi oil. is um, It's a compounded thing that's um, from the Cook Islands. Um, you know, in the past, we've all been through a lot of injuries, and this is something that I really feel very passionate about that moto guys can use. Uh, it's hard to find a product out there that helps grow bone. It's like actually not there's there's very limited stuff out there that's scientifically proven to grow bone, and this is something that's scientifically proven to grow bone. There's actually nothing like it. It's patented. It's approved by WADA, so it's safe for motocross guys to use. I know that's always like a big thing, but um. Yeah, this Tavadi oil, I'm trying to get it over here and working with the chemist right now to get it compounded over here in, in the US, but it's available in Australia. So anyone that um, has a soft tissue injury or bone, broken bone, or wants to heal quickly, get to Tavadi on Instagram or check out their websites, TVATI. And um, it's uh, Sean, um, Sean 
um, Cahill, who's uh, the brother of Tim Cahill, the famous soccer player. Okay. He is the, he's the man behind it, but uh, amazing yeah. stuff. So, yeah, stay well, tuned. On yeah. I, trust me, folks. Rob, Robbie's got me. I've, I've dislocated my shoulder. He got me on some BP, BPC157. Yeah. Yep, and you, you've you've given me some insights to some of the stuff that's kept you through all your injuries. So if Rob's endorsing it, it works. Like it, it's it's no joke. I'm gonna check this stuff out. I am down under now. I've got yeah. some tissue damage, and I need a boner. So hopefully it helps my boner. Yeah. Or oh, he'll he heals bone. He heals bone. So yeah. <laughs> well, Rob. We have other products for that though. <laughs> well, brother, it was a it was great, man. It's I very uh, ironic. I'm in Australia, and you're in Temecula. We've, yeah, right. But um, man, it's it. I'm I'm assuming we're gonna see each other in hand and give a big hug and uh, tell the family we love them and and we'll talk soon, Legend. Yeah. Hey, family, we love them too, mate. All the best. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Thanks to everyone's listening. Support. Um, uh, it's uh, it's uh, where is this gonna be? It's on uh, my two wheels. My two wheels dot com. My two wheels dot com. It's great. I looked at it the other day. It's awesome. Congratulations, man. Thanks, Take care. Steve. Cheers, buddy. Late. <laughs>